Welcome to Spirit Behind the Screen. Each episode, your host, Marty McCurdy, deep dives on industry trends around high reliability electronics and the supply chain in aerospace and defense. This is episode 51 with Gary Nockin, Senior Vice President of Corporate Banking at MidFirst Bank. Hi, this is Marty McCurdy with Spirit Electronics, and it is our podcast, Behind the Screen. So today we have a very special guest, and it is an unusual guest because we don't usually have any kind of financial folks coming in, but today we have our banker, Gary Nockin from MidFirst Bank. So Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marty. It's a pleasure to be here. This will be fun, and I uh, look forward to sharing some thoughts with you. Well, I'm glad that you're open to a podcast. Sometimes it takes a little breaking of the ice. So we have a great producer, so don't worry, you're in great hands. Okay, <laughs> well, the reason I asked you in today was that historically, when I've owned other companies and kind of managed them, I always had three people in my life that remained there for many years, 15 plus years, and that was my banker, my CPA, and my attorney. So since coming into Spirit Electronics, I really didn't have those luxuries. And for the first several years of Spirit, I did struggle trying to get the right partner in banking until you and I met and then kind of re-got acquainted once you were at MidFirst. So let's talk a little bit about MidFirst and their incredibly strong presence in the marketplace, from my perspective anyway, of, of how rock solid they are just from the way they manage their portfolio. Okay, thank you. Happy to. So MidFirst is a, actually the largest privately owned commercial bank in the country. We're owned by a family in Oklahoma. Uh, we manage just over $35 billion of assets uh, under management, which consists of a diversified portfolio of uh, real estate, SBA, small commercial, and uh, I'll call small corporate, which we uh, in the industry call middle market. So we have six states that we have locations in, but we serve our clients across the entire nation. Nice, yes. Well, 35 billion is a, is a big number. So I feel like that gives MidFirst, um, I won't use the word immunity, but it certainly gives them some underlying foundation that kind of keeps them a little bit, that and, and their ability to navigate and project, right? It le- mm-hmm. leaves them a little bit st- you know, more stable than some of the banking collapses we've seen this summer that in the spring that you and I've talked about in detail. Right. Well, yeah, the strength of your bank, what's in the portfolio of the bank. As you know, we talk to you know, a lot of business uh, men and women across the valley and, and around the country. And, you know, banks ask a lot of questions about what's in your portfolio, what's in your business. I think it would be wise for each and every client to understand a little more about what's on the bank's balance sheet. Mm-hmm. You know, a notable bank failure recently, which has been in the news, so I'm not saying anything that's not been in the news, Silicon Valley Bank was over $200 billion in size. So just because a bank is large doesn't necessarily mean that the portfolio is constructed in a way that is immune to risk. Maybe a little advice to some of your listeners and some of the smaller and privately held companies. Just understand who you're doing business with. Right, yeah. Hence Lehman Brothers, right? 
Correct. <laughs> and of course, you know, Silicon Valley Bank hits close to me because I've moved here from the Bay Area. So it, it does, you know, I, I think you and I were talking one day over something casual about some of the new space market that we see out there when we're out on the road mm-hmm. traveling. And um, it does look evident to me about some of the large, you know, space companies out here. We go there, they're building a, you know, a 200,000 square foot building. They've got, they went from 25 people to 350 people in a year. And I, and I think that's impossible to onboard. And just talking about that, in my mind, they haven't sold the first thing, right? And also when you're in space, even though it's new space, how many satellites are you going to chuck up there? I mean, you, you know, it isn't like you're building cars and you're producing 100,000 of these things. You're producing maybe 10, 100 if you're lucky, 1,000 if you've got the whole constellation, right? So the stability of the bank and the ability to manage this small business that you're in is, is impressive to me. Well, you, you made me think about a commercial bank is really a reflection of the clients it does business with. So if if your client base is struggling, by definition, the bank has some challenges, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you look across the country that uh, the markets that we focus our business, Oklahoma, Arizona, Colorado, Texas, uh, we have a small presence in California, but all of our markets have benefited from the diversification and migration into the Southwest. As you know, we've talked about California, a lot of very successful, very large, very sophisticated companies that in emerging technologies have chosen to relocate into Arizona. Now, I think there's, there's multiple things that are combining. The Phoenix and the Arizona economy 20 years ago was not a real diversified economy. Mm-hmm. MidFirst moved here about 18 years ago and has enjoyed the growth and the diversification and the expansion. And we've intentionally tried to identify uh, good quality people, good quality companies with business models that we can understand and that are well capitalized and we've grown along with them. So. Across the country, in all the markets we serve, that's our approach, and I think it's served us well. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure, uh, you are a very intricate partner here with Spirit Electronics. You not only, you know, maybe over-serve us, uh, but I appreciate all that you do. You're, you really help us in, in just about every avenue. You've been with me looking at new buildings. You've walked the building with me. You've been with me at Chips Act meeting, Commerce. You're, you're so very well-connected to the Greater Phoenix Economics Council. So for me, the partnership of, of you as our banker and MidFirst Bank is, is an intricate part of how we are growing basically exponentially every year. And, and you know some of our roadmap is that you, know, you are going to have to be there with us through a lot more coming up in the next couple of years. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I think the feeling is mutual. Not all customers are transparent. Not all companies you know, have a quality, a high quality business that is capable of growing. I mean, the markets, as you know, are, are highly efficient. If you're not creating value, if you, uh, you're not serving your customer as you and your team do, I mean, your growth is not by accident or just by hoping that you'll grow. It's been very intentional. You've shifted the product mix. And we've had the, the luxury of having a front row seat of watching 
you said you were going to transform this business. Several years later, we've known each other about five years now, you've accomplished what you was a dream or a vision and you're reaping the rewards and the benefits of it. So as a banker, having a front row seat to that is probably one of the most rewarding things that, that we do as bankers. Nice, very nice. Well, I appreciate that. I know during the, uh, the tough times when we were all in the COVID, call those the missing years, the PPP you rolled out for us, and honestly, it was absolutely flawless, painless. You guys executed that. So on behalf of small business, probably everywhere, and everybody you touched on that, thank you for those efforts, because that was huge and, and a lifesaver, honestly. Well, we, we appreciate that. Our SBA team, as I touched on earlier, we have an intentional focus on SBA and serving small businesses in the communities that we bank and live and work in. We had a commitment to our customers and we, we took care of our customers first. But what we noticed as we scan the horizon and uh, we're in the market, you know, we live and we work in, in our communities, that a lot of the larger well-known publicly held financial institutions were either unable or unwilling to deliver the PPP program. We thought it was imperative to uh, help small business maintain their employees and it was a bridge to a different time. So it's, it was a, a program that I think served the recipients well and MidFirst was happy to be a part of it. Yes, I agree, it served them well for sure. Let's talk a little bit about the feds and, and the economy and where it is right now from the bank's perspective. Because we all know that you know the Fed's trying to manage this what you know inflation that they're calling it and the interest rate rising and it's a challenge for everybody obviously and and some market segments are not doing as well as as the aerospace defense obviously is still doing extremely well. So give us your the banker's view of the current state of affairs with the rate hikes and and the uh, the feds and where they're headed. Okay, that's an interesting question and, and one that gets debated. Um, <laughs> while I don't have a crystal ball, uh-huh. uh, you know, the Fed's not calling mid-first or mid yeah. for, for their opinion. But if you listen to the Fed chairman, if you listen to uh, financial news, inflation, I think every company, uh, every privately owned business really has a good feel for inflation. I mean, supply chains with COVID were disrupted, the workforce, the labor models, the cost of goods, the cost of real estate, inflation is real. And for a decade or more, there was speculation when the Fed would raise interest rates. When the decision was finally made to raise interest rates, the rate of increases, the magnitude and the compressed time frame, I don't ever recall seeing that significant of cost increase if you view the, the cost of money vis-a-vis mm-hmm. interest rates. Right. And the intent by the Fed was to slow the economy and to curb inflation. So if, if that was the intent, you know, take liquidity out of the market, I think the pace and the magnitude of those, those increases, that's one of their primary tools in monetary policy to, uh, to slow the economy. I, I'm not an economist, but you know, I listen to lots of economists and you see data points where the economy from a producer, from a consumer perspective, the economy is slowing. And there's a lot of talk about a recession, but I think the, the Fed is intentionally trying to slow the economy. Mm-hmm. 
Well, for sure, you touched on a few things there that are definitely pressing to all of us, right? And I think you and I have had deep conversations about supply chain and obviously Spirit being in the supply chain distribution channel part of our business, we feel it immensely, right? I mean, we we had something, something had a little bit of a reprieve there about March and everybody had a little bit of optimism that there was going to be pull in of the long deliveries. And that lasted maybe two to three weeks, four if you were optimistic. But here we are back again at, you know, 100 to 140 week deliveries. And and I say, you know, how uh, sometimes my filter doesn't exist too well. But I just say, who the hell can plan something for 140 weeks? Like you cannot plan to build something or, or, or have a supply chain at 140 weeks when historically you've been used to an 8 to 10 week, 20 maybe, right? So for us, we saw a lot of pull in. And then for a moment, we saw some of it come in. So, you know, we, I know you know our numbers and you know how big our backlog is right now. So it really is everybody's problem, no matter what industry you're in. But for us, you know, we have ratings that give us some priorities over other uh, sectors of the market for us to get product first. But still, at that rate, the supply chain is is one of our key factors. Right. And and how the, the year looks basically. Mm-hmm. Bookings might be great, but billings might not be as strong as we want them to be. Right. What's interesting, the, the, the supply chain issue, for the longest, companies were trying to become more and more efficient, manage inventory levels to the lowest possible. There was offshore manufacturing with the idea to lower product cost and just-in-time inventory, which all those combined helped reduce the total product cost. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last couple of years since COVID with supply chain issues, purchasing managers are saying, I will buy everything I can get my hands on just in case because I cannot afford to run out of product. My customers are depending on me to source product. And so the combined I mean, economics 101, supply versus demand, you know, we all remember during COVID walking down the grocery store aisles and certain paper products were gone. People were hoarding. I think companies were doing the same thing. And so the combined impact of that has elongated cash cycles and, and, and worked on prices. You know, the elasticity, uh, you can only pass on so much price. And the next place that it impacts a business is uh, your margins start mm-hmm. to take a hit. And we've talked about those macro issues and um, and how they've impacted your company. Uh, some companies are able to navigate those challenges successfully. Other companies, unfortunately, are struggling in this environment to navigate some of those issues. So it's a very real issue. It is, yes, for sure. I know. Uh, we both have been working hard to find Spirit a new building. And one of those reasons is because we do have that exact scenario in our warehouse that we need larger warehouse space and that some of the large primes are, are putting inventory here to alleviate this problem and they want it to you know remain out of their facilities and here as a distribution channel. So that is a one of the many big pushes for us to get a new building besides the fact we've got people up at the gym now we had to relocate the gym so we we have people problems as well two other things you touched on there one was real estate and the other one was the workforce so again that same thing especially i mean i don't know if we have champagne problems or or what we have that 
you know, Phoenix, honestly, you came into it 20 years ago. I feel like I've come into it almost six years ago now. So Phoenix is, is truly the hotbed for the tech industry right now. And, and even we were just talking earlier about ASU and Marion uh, Maricopa Community College's efforts to try to get workforce in here. But really, that is a, a tried and true problem, us getting real estate for commercial building, trying to get new employees. And I know you see this firsthand as well. Yeah, um, I think there's a convergence of a lot that's transpired in the Phoenix market. And if you look at other metropolitan areas that have succeeded in growing faster than other cities in their peer group, if you will, one of the shared attributes is they have education to train for a variety of jobs. Some are advanced manufacturing, some are you know, technology-oriented, R&D-oriented, uh, whatever the case may be. But you know, there's some markets in Texas. There are markets in the in the Midwest that we've talked about. You know, Utah, Colorado. Uh, Phoenix has done a a good job in relative terms, attracting through the university system. You know, we have four major universities today, based on our population. I think we were we and then we have a, an excellent community college system, and uh, trade school. So, I think all that combined. I think, once again, 20 years ago, Phoenix imported more than it exported. We had a, what, what's called a trade deficit, and it was truly an island in the sky, and everything was flown in for consumers, for our service industry. Roll forward a couple of decades, and today we have a lot of advanced manufacturing, technology. We're exporting products and services not only domestically but around the world so i think the economy here uh, has benefited from some of that diversification and i think it it has become not only a destination for uh, recreational travel but for technological advances and development of emerging technologies and quite frankly it's an attractive place to be we've all heard about the water issues right yes in in phoenix but um (laughs) You know, there's always a challenge. Nothing is perfect, but, um, you know, we're working on that as a state as well. Yes, for sure. I just was in Colorado uh, last couple days, and the amount of water gushing down those rivers, uh, I hope it keeps coming to Arizona, but uh, you're right. Everybody has something. I, I do recall when we were doing a study for friends of ours at Space Florida, about putting a, another facility on the Cape over there in Florida to help that space program. At the end of the study, it was amazing, and, and it was five years ago. So looking back, it's just ironic that we said, look, in five years, this is what it's going to look like. Unfortunately, people aren't coming to the Cape. They're going to be in Arizona. And it's almost to the letter, you know, mm-hmm. what we saw from the big primes right. and all the tech that came here. and. And I know that, um, you know, aside from the water, some of the things that were brought to our attention were there's no earthquakes, there's no hurricanes, potentially there's really no fire like there is, uh, you know, in California. Everybody's, you know, developing a workforce within the, you know, ASU has become, I believe it's number one, is it not? I, I think ASU is the number one school in the U.S. now. Well, my, uh, in terms of number of students, it's one of the largest, if not the largest. I'm not sure if it is the largest, but it's one of the largest. And Michael Crow, who's the president of ASU, 
he has driven the growth of as much deserves the benefit of the growth in the valley. He had aspirations for building a best-in-class engineering program. I mean, you, you've worked with ASU, mm-hmm. their, their R&D, their ability to track research grants. I think ASU has grown along with Arizona, and some might say Arizona has grown largely because of ASU. And I don't want to just discount mm-hmm. the other universities. Sure. I just the, the university system in general, ASU just happens to be the largest, but U of A is very good at what they do. NAU is very good at what they do. GCU is mm-hmm. very good at what they do. So um, I think the combined uh, work that they're doing has definitely benefited the, the, the workforce here. I agree. We've looked at several of their programs, especially what we saw with the Commerce Authority's uh, meeting that, you know, the, even the Maricopa Community College, they're just so focused in targeting the semiconductor side of it. They've got a 10-day crash course we're looking at, and they even have very specific outline programs and they even called out specifically the name of the robot we use here for some of our technologies and it was it's very impressive what they're doing for sure you did mention one thing uh, about arizona in the recreation so i just want to touch on one thing you're very involved in the fiesta bowl Mm -hmm. so that's a charity that's near and dear to your heart Mm -hmm. and uh, if you just want to give that a little bit of a plug right now i uh, i'm all for it okay absolutely thank you I'm involved with the Fiesta Bowl, the, the Scottsdale Charros, uh, which is um, a Major League yes. Baseball spring training. The Fiesta Bowl is obviously college football. And I think, to some extent, the sports and entertainment that a lot of uh, those that travel to those sporting events were exposed to the Valley for the first time through attending sporting events. And so those are... And I'll go further to say that the hospitality uh, extended to welcome our guests here in the Valley, I think have combined to cause folks and companies uh, when relocators scan the horizon, Phoenix is, is attractive. You know, I, I think of Phoenix as a big, small town, but we happen to have a lot of the attributes of very large cities with professional sports, with arts, with cultural you know, the restaurant scene is improving. Oh, yes. So, you know, while we're not on the radar as a large urban metropolitan area, I think we've made a lot of progress as a community. Yes, I do too, for sure, especially moving from the Bay Area down here. I, I see the growth, and I'm very thankful for all the sports, actually, even though I'm a strong Warrior fan. Uh, I still have the Suns and Mercury tickets, but I know that the Fiesta Bowl has always been a great thing for you for the last couple of years we've been involved in. It's been fun. So. Yeah, so, so one, one uh, maybe not truly known, um, I guess college football went through the BCS, then the FBS, and um, starting next year, the athletic directors, there's a new uh, football playoff system that uh, will be put in place. And Phoenix and the Fiesta Bowl, all the work that we've done will guarantee that every year we'll have a playoff game. The playoffs have been expanded from top four to the top 10 teams. So every year we'll have either a, a quarterfinal or a semifinal with fantastic football at the college level. So uh, exciting news for the festival. Yeah, for sure it is. And we know that uh, the city and all the people we know there worked super hard for the Super Bowl this year. And next year the Final Four is here. So I think we're, we're positioned well for our, our activities and our fun. <laughs> 
So, uh, Gary, I just wanted to thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's always my pleasure to chat with you. And, and like I said, MidFirst, uh, as a small business, anybody out there in the small business realm, uh, I highly encourage you to give MidFirst a call. We really use you as a, a very strong partner on a, almost a day-to-day -day basis. You and I connect somehow. So I want to thank you for all of that and uh, appreciate you being on our podcast today behind the screen. Well, that was painless. It, it was uh, truly a pleasure. I appreciate you being kind. But once again, thanks for uh, the faith you and, and the uh, trust you've put in the mid-first. And, and um, it's a pleasure to watch the company continue to evolve and grow. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening with Spirit this week. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast to let us know what you want to hear about in aerospace and defense. You can find out more about Spirit's value-added services and product lines at spiritelectronics.com.